0: be a further word or song or testimony in someone's heart? If not, turn with me to the 14th chapter of the book of John. The disciples have concluded the Observance of the Passover with the Lord Jesus. He has instituted the Lord's Supper. His hour is nearly at hand. He's told Peter that Peter would deny him three times. The disciples are worried, they're doubting not sure what's going on Peter especially he's been told that he's going to deny Jesus something that he never thought would happen and so what had been an occasion that has been marked time and time again by the disciples in observing the passover has now turned into a situation where where they feel the gravity the moment the worry the doubt the confusion has come over them. John 14, verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. There's many dwelling places in heaven. He so said, If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know. He says, and where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest. And how then can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me we'll stop our reading right there Jesus has encouraged his disciples no doubt he has seen the expression on Peter's face he has seen the expression on all of the disciples faces as they have seen this moment and know what's come about her he has washed their feet they have, have seen as he has told of the one that would betray him how he had supped with him and dipping his hand into the cup and and they've seen all the all that's going on and this anxiety is over them and this worry and this confusion. And Jesus sees this on their faces. And He says, "...let not your heart be troubled." He said, "...you believe in God, believe also in Me." He said, what I am telling you, the things that you will see over these next 24 hours, they will be hard and you will be worried and you will doubt so much so that you will deny me before others. He said, but don't let your heart be troubled for I am going away. And that Jesus was going away was to their benefit. It was to their, to their advantage. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, where I'm going, it has an intent and a purpose that there in my Father's house, where there are many dwelling places, I would go and prepare a place for you that where I am going, you can be with me also. He said, so don't let your heart be troubled. I know the things that I am telling you that one of you is going to betray me and you, Peter, are going to deny me. He says, I know these things that I am telling you. They're hard things. They're grievous things. And you've followed me now for three years. And you're saying, how can these things be? He said, but you've believed in God. You've believed in the One who sent me. Believe also in me. He said, and if I go... To prepare a place for you. He said, Know that I'm coming back. He said, I'm coming back and will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And then he says this He says, Where I'm going, you know. And he says, And you know the way there as well. Thomas, though, and certainly probably speaking even for others in the room, he hears this statement and and again, I, I want you to keep in mind these are young men with, with, with due respect to, to Brother Gary and Brother Bobby and Brother Rex and Brother Jeff and others that are older among us. Brother Craig, these were older men who have had something about them where, where maybe they could have could have figured out that what Jesus was saying was that He was not going just down the street or over to the next town. These were younger men. And remember, they were struggling. Lots of times they would hear things they'd be trying to figure out is this a literal thing or, or what is He saying? he says, Jesus, we we don't know where you're going. He says "And if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way there? Right? Now, now all of us can understand that in the simplest of ways, can't we? If I was to tell you, hey, I want you to meet me somewhere, and you say, okay, I will do that, and I would say, do you know the way? You would say, well, I don't even know where you're going. So no, I I don't know the way because I I don't know where. Right? Thomas is making a very simple statement. He's saying, "Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, and if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way?" And Jesus answered his questions. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus answered the questions of his disciples when they were doubting and worried. And fearful, Jesus heard them and He answered them. In fact, the best that I can tell, there's only a couple of times in Scriptures, most notably when Jesus was had no reason to open His mouth as He stood before Pilate when Pilate was questioning Him. But but other times when, when there would be ones that would come to Him and ask Him questions, He gave answers. Sometimes His answers weren't not the, the, the clear answer that they wanted to their question. Sometimes his answers were to challenge their questions with another question himself. But what he always did was got down to the heart of the matter. And that's what he did here for Thomas. He doesn't say, I'm going to heaven to be with God. And the way there is that you would come to trust and believe in me. He got to the heart of the matter. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. The way, the truth, and the life. First, I want you to see just for a moment, it's obvious to us, and I'm sure you've probably heard many messages preached from this very text, so hopefully it's not lost on you, that these are definitive articles that are accompanying each of these. It is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus has identified Himself as not being a way that perhaps would be recommended for you to go, or a truth relative to whatever else you want to believe, or a life, if that's a life you want to live, that's a a life that's available to you as an option. No! He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has allowed that there be no alternatives, there's no other... uh, uh, options that are available to you that you would find some other way to where Jesus is going. There's no other option to you where there might be a more convenient truth for you. And there's no other way or no other life that can be lived but the life that is lived for Jesus in which there is found untold joy and gladness and that there might be an evidence of of, of what's taken place in coming to know the way and coming to know the truth in the life that you live. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, when we talk about a way, now, normally we think about a way as it would be a, a form of passage, don't we? In fact, if you look up the definition in Webster's 1828 dictionary, that's the very first definition given for the word way. That it's some passage, we say we have highways and byways and, And all these other parkways and and different ways (laughs) to to note some some passage, right? I can get out here on Highway 65 and you would know exactly what I'm talking about. That it's a passageway for me to drive on. I can tell you that I'm going to be going down some parkway and you would have some ability to understand that you know I'm driving down some street as a passage to get where I'm going. If you came to me and you say, hey, which way should I go to be able to get down the street or to get to where I'm going and I could give you some direction to tell you the way that you should go but there are certainly other definitions of the word way aren't there where we can understand it to mean the means of doing something right if I come to you and I say hey I'm looking to go go fishing can you tell me the way that I should use a, a, a certain rod and reel? Or, or can you tell me the instructions of how I might be able to do something? I'm asking for the means of doing something, aren't I? How, how do I do that? I need to know the way. I need to understand the means. In fact, in Indiana, our uh, government, our legislature, they have a committee called the Ways and Means Committee where they get together and figure out the the ways and means that they're going to have to be able to finance things and and do things. They're looking for, for the approach. They're looking for how to do something. Jesus has said He's the how. He is the way. And there are no alternatives. Now, I want you to know that what we find today in which there are all sorts of Different ways that are presented as it relates to how you might go to heaven. It's no different than what's been around throughout all of history. In fact, 500 years before Jesus was even born of Mary, born of the virgin as we know, 500 years before He was ever, ever born, I don't like that word, ever entered into the world. I don't want you to think that I'm speaking of Jesus just coming to exist. I'll be very clear here. Before Jesus ever entered into the world and took on flesh. 500 years before that, there was an ancient Chinese philosopher who came up with this idea that that all rivers lead to the sea. And so he said, well, every religion, every way of belief on earth must ultimately get to the same place. So what we see today in modern philosophy is not something new in which there's all these different expressions that are given or, or different alternatives that are presented as ways for you to Know the Lord. Listen, Jesus has always been the way. And there is none other. He has made it definitive. He said, no man can come to the Father but by me. You have sinned. If you you are lost and separated from God, I want you to hear me this morning. You have sinned against the Father. You have sinned against the one who has given the law. And your only hope of being reconciled unto God is through Jesus. There is no other alternative. There is no other way. And listen to me this morning. I want you to know that I stand to believe that the means that we worship the Lord are also through and by Jesus. You've heard me say it over and over. In fact, I was thinking about this. week. We're going to try this out. Whatever I say, you know what I'm going to say. Can you all just say it's all about Jesus? Let's try that. You know what I'm going to say? That's right. It's all about Jesus. So is our worship. It is all about Jesus. He is the way. And there is none other. He said, I am the way. Thomas asked. He said, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I'm the way. He didn't give him directions. He didn't take him by the hand and say, let me help you find that. You know, yesterday I was at Lowe's when we were working on the on the wheelchair ramp for the Gadberries and I, uh, I I didn't provide much value. I want you to know to, to the group of men that were working on that. But I did run an errand for them. And uh, so I was at Lowe's and I was looking for some grip tape to, to put there on the ramp. And before I left, I'd been given some good instructions, some good advice by my older brothers that were there with me, Brother Rex and Brother Jeff. They said, I'd ask Chris, I said, Chris, you know where the grip tape is? And he said, ah, no, it's probably in one of these aisles. And, and so I get there and I look in those. I couldn't find it. But the thing that Jeff and Rex told me, they say, We'll just ask somebody. And I thought, okay. So I did. I asked somebody. And you know what he did? He didn't just tell me where. He, he, he showed me the way. He, he walked with me. And he took me right to it. He said, here's what you're looking for. Turns out Rex and Jeff knew what they were talking about. i would only admit that here. But Jesus didn't, didn't do that either, did he? He didn't take him he said I'll show you the way. He said I am the way. He said Thomas, where I'm going you get there by knowing me. You get there through me. There is none other name given amongst man whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. You see why I I'm so frequent to say it's all about Jesus. He's the way. But not only is He the way of salvation, but He is the way for the believer. What what did Jesus say when He was teaching? When He said that straight is the gate and narrow is the way. When we look at the way beyond the gate, my father-in-law preached a sermon one time with that title, the way beyond the gate. When we look at what? life is beyond the gate, when we look at, at, the, at the way of Christ, the way in which we would follow after Him, we would realize that, that it is, remains all fixated on following after Christ. And people have gotten the wrong idea on this where they think that Jesus is just an add-on to life. Listen to me, my friend. If you have been saved by God's grace and you think what comes after that is that you just kind of go to church and go through the motions on Sunday morning and, and He has an accessory to your life, you've got it all wrong. Listen, if you've been saved by God's grace, the saving power of God will change you. And as a result of that, as a result of that change, the way in which you follow, the way in which you live, is going to be different. Your want to changes. You see, God doesn't just change your heart and that you've been saved internally, and but you still got this mind thing working. Listen, God has changed my want to. Has it change doors? There are things that others dabble in that I just don't want to. There are things that others refuse to do that I want to do. But I want to serve others. I want to show love to my brothers and my sisters. I want to tell the world about Jesus. see, He changes our want to. We'll talk a little bit about that more here in a second. He said He's the truth. Now, when we think about truth, we understand it typically as that which is fact, and that is a good way for us to understand it. But before we look at that, I want you to see also that, keep in mind, He is talking to a group of men that He has just observed the Passover with. The Passover was an Old Testament institution an Old Testament decree that they would observe this, this special memorial of how God had delivered them that night when the death angel passed over, where the all the Israelites had put that blood of that lamb that had been slain on their doorposts. And so they commemorated that. They had observed that. So Jesus knows who he's talking to. And when he says he is the truth, I want you to know not only is it that he is a fact, but also that he is a fulfillment. That He had fulfilled all the law and all the prophets. That He was the Messiah. Jesus did not leave one eye undotted or T uncrossed. in what the Old Testament had said was to come. He is the one that the prophets had spoken of. He is the truth. Keep in mind, we're, we're reading here, we have the benefit that we're reading this in 2022. The book of John had not yet been written. Neither had Matthew, Mark, and Luke or any of the rest of the New Testament. But they did have the scrolls of the Old Testament. So they knew the truth of the Scriptures that they have relied upon. They knew the testimony of their parents and of their grandparents and the instructions that had been handed down for generation concerning the Israelites, concerning what their forefathers had done going all the way back to Abraham. And when Jesus said He is the truth, He was declaring that He is the One that had been spoken of. He said, I am the way. And if you have questions about that, know also that I am the truth. But I can stand here before You and, de- and declare that I am the way because I am the One of all the prophets and all the law had pointed to all the law. He's the truth. There is no error that is found in Jesus Christ. He is fact. You can put Him in the scale and you can try Him. And what you are going to find is that every time you try him, he proves himself again and again and again. Jesus Christ is the truth. You know, it's popular. I don't know if it still is or not. Haley, Olivia, Michael, Logan, Jacob, you guys have to tell me it's still popular or not. Drew. You know, there was a time when I was kind of growing up where he'd say, Oh, man, that's the truth. You know, there was something good. That's, that's how we'd say it too, just like that. That's not true. <laughs> Well, we'd say, that's the truth, right? Something good would happen. there would be some ball player that we'd like or something like that. We'd say, oh man, you know, Jordan's the truth. Right? And we're meaning that as a good thing. Right? Jesus here, He's not making some contemporary mark like me and my friends used to do when we'd say that. He is saying that He is the one in which truth resides. I want you to think about that for a minute. When we hear, we see things that are going on in our world, if we want to try them as to whether or not they be true, we should hold them up against Christ. He has become our comparison point. Listen, there is this belief, and young people, really listen to me, just for for a couple minutes right here. There is this idea that exists in the culture today that truth is relative. In fact, if I was to ask some young people if they believed in absolute truth, Michael Wilkins, listen to me just for a minute, guys. If I was to ask you today, is there an absolute truth? Can you know something is true 100% absolutely? There are people today who would say, well, no, you can't know that. That all truth is relative and it depends on how you look at it. It depends on what you think or who you're talking to. Listen to me. Truth is truth. And if it is true, it will stand for itself. And so when Jesus Christ said He is the truth, He meant my word, who He is, stands without any need of support, without any need of some relative comparison. He said absolutely that He is the truth. And I want you guys to know that. You're going to encounter this as you continue to go through school and continue in life. And people are going to want to compare things and and say, well, just, just, just live your truth. Listen to me. If you live your truth and I live my truth and our truths are different, you know what that means? It means one of us is lying. One of us does not have the truth. So what do we do then? How do we figure out whose truth is true? We hold it up against Christ. And He will reveal what is true. I don't know if you heard this week. Our government... I won't say, I was going to insert some snide remark here, but I won't. Our government at the federal level set up some new board in which they're going to decide whether news is is true or not. I don't know how they're going to do that. But that's what they're going to do. Office of Disinformation or something like that. Listen to me. I know this whole idea of misinformation and disinformation has got a lot of publicity here are these last several years. If you want to know truth, you ultimately have to come back to something that is absolute. And for the Christian, we come back to the source. We come back to the one who has declared that He is the truth. Young people, you cling to that. You will save yourself a lot of heartache. You will save yourself from a lot of challenge, from a lot of, Places in life where you find yourself lonely and depressed and discouraged. You come back to this statement that Jesus has said that He is the truth. You know what Scripture says about this in another place? It says, let God be true in every man a liar. When it seems that all the world is filled with lies on every side, you come back to the Lord. You will find truth there. You will find comfort there. You will find security there. You will find where it was at once. Where you seem like you were lost without hope. You come back to the truth and you'll find hope. He is the truth. <clears throat> Last point on this. One of my favorite traits, characters, characteristics of God is His veracity. Now that's a great big word. What it means is that he's accurate to himself. We know it's impossible for God to lie. Did you know that? I assume you know that. God can't can't lie. It just wouldn't be able to, to, to exist within his character, within his nature. Some say, well, God can do everything. He can't lie. It would go against his very nature. And as a result of that, because God can't lie, that means He is accurate to Himself every single time. That whatever God has said, He's going to perform it. That whatever God has said He's going to do, He's going to do it. That whatever promise God has made, you can believe that He is going to make good on what He has promised to His people. And that is what we see also in this statement. When Jesus said that He is the truth, it means that all those promises that we've been given in Scripture, that they are secured in His very nature. I love that word veracity. God is accurate to Himself. Let me put it in some terms that that we can better understand. You ever had a... Well, some of us can understand. You ever had a gun that just shoots true? I mean, when you pick it up, you know that thing is going to hit the mark every single time. You have a confidence in it, a trust in it. You're, you're certain of it. You know what it's going to do every single time. That's who God is. Every single time. He's going to do exactly what He's saying. He's going to be exactly who He's declared Himself to be. You know, we as people, we struggle with that, don't we? We're inconsistent. trying to think of what the word flighty, that's a word my mom used to use to describe certain people that would hang out with my sister and I. More people that would describe my sister. (laughs) Flaky, that's another term that I've heard used. You've heard these terms used? We're inconsistent, Right? Sometimes He can depend on us. Sometimes He can't. Jesus said He is the truth. He is consistent every single time. Isn't that wonderful to know? We have a God that we can rely on. A God that we can trust. And He's faithful to us. He's true to us. He's not just true to His character, but He's true to us. Every way that God deals with us, He has already told us about. You say sometimes, listen, it seems like God is chastising me. He has said He chastised those that He loves. He's told you of His faithfulness and His love towards you. He has said, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And He meant it. He is the truth. I love, I love that Jesus is the truth. And He says that He is the life. Now, when we see (coughs) this life, I want you to understand fully, as I already made the comment, that He is not some lovely addition to your life. Listen, if you are lost and separated from God or you are far from God, it is not that you're just missing God from your life. So when you add Him in, you know what, you're going to keep everything else going just the way it's going. You're just going to add God to it. Things are going to be good. Listen, if that's your idea of who God is, your attitude of what it means to live for the Lord, you are sorely mistaken. To live for the Lord. To know the life that Jesus is describing Himself as here. The life that Jesus is identifying Himself as here is to know that it means to allow everything else to fall away and to follow Him. Isn't that what He said? He said, take up your cross. and Follow Me. What do He mean when He said that? I want to make a couple of points about this life that is found in Jesus Christ. one, it is a good life. Let me say this. It's the best life you can live. It's to live for Jesus. It's to live the life that has been identified in Jesus Christ. There is joy. There is gladness. There is hope. There is peace that is found in the life that is lived of Jesus. Now you say, Derek, how can those things be? We have just heard the prayer request a little bit earlier of our brothers and our sisters and we know that they are dealing with with great things, with significant things, things that are greater than any one of us can bear. How can you look to Me and say that the life that is lived with Jesus is the best life? Jesus said that His purpose in coming was that He came that they might have life that they might have it more abundantly. What Jesus did not say was that He came to remove all pain, to remove all heartache, to remove all despair, to make every valley a mountaintop. Jesus did not say, follow Me and your life is going to be easy. He said, pick up your cross and follow Me. That's the exact opposite of easy. You know how much, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, you know how much a cross wave Depending on if if you understand that he was just carrying the cross beam or if he was carrying the full cross, it weighed over a 100 pounds, certainly. And the purpose of that cross, ultimately, that Jesus carried on that day as he made his way up to Calvary, was that he would give his life on it. It was not that he was carrying some prized possession that all the world would look to and say, look what that man is carrying. Although now I find in the hope of that cross a valued possession that I wouldn't give up for my life. But in that moment, it was nothing but a cruel tree. And Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow Me. You have a burden to bear. You have a weight that you're going to have set on your shoulders. And it's going to be with you all the days of your life. He said, but pick up your cross and follow Me. you say, well, Derek, you're not giving a very good sales pitch. You're following the Lord. I want you to know, the joy and the gladness that's found in carrying a cross. About seven weeks ago, you guys saw me in a moment where I, I was left and rendered speechless. There was a joy that that overwhelmed my soul because my daughter had found the Lord. And in that moment there was a a joy that was just unspeakable. (laughs) I just put that together right here, right now. (laughs) I was experiencing what the Scriptures talk about. A joy that was unspeakable. Oh, it was wonderful. But what you didn't see that night was the hours of toiling in prayer. Wondering, doubting, God, are You going to save her? God, what if You don't? God, what do I do as her father? What do I do as the father of her siblings? What do I do as a pastor? You see, you didn't see the moments of carrying a cross <laughs> that some days felt like it was so heavy that I couldn't stand But you saw the joy, didn't you? (laughs) That's what I mean. When I say that there is joy and gladness and hope that is found in the life that is lived for Christ, it's not going to be sunshines and roses and butterflies and rainbows all the time. I'm just going to tell you it's not. But that was just a momentary expression of joy that you got to see. You've not got to see the private joys that I've got to have. You've not seen the private joys that I've got to have with some of you individually. The night that I got to drive over to the Hougins' home to give Lucas a great big hug the night that he got saved. You see, there is joy. <laughs> and if we put this in the balance, all that heartache that comes from carrying across the joy is so much greater than just the common grace that He provides. The grace and the mercy to get through another day. The strength to to wake up and go to work when you really don't feel like it. The ability to, to work through some of the worst doubts and fears that man and woman has ever known. Those common days when you know that if it wasn't for the help of the Lord, you wouldn't have made it through. That's why I can say that it is the best life that you can ever live. And I can say it and mean it. Later this year, I'll have been saved for 27 years. 75% of my life I spent knowing the Lord. There's times where I haven't served Him like I should. But I want you to know (laughs) I want you to know I want to make a trade for the world. I told Jacob one night, about a moment in my life, I didn't expect to say all this today, y'all just bear with me, keep praying, about a moment in my life, I don't think I've ever said this probably, about a moment in my life where I knew right there in the moment I was making a decision that was going to impact the rest of my life, whether I would serve the Lord or whether I would not. Whether I would, When I say whether I would serve the Lord, I mean truly give my life to His service. Or whether it would just be something that I would kind of happen around and do every now and then and do when it was convenient. And I felt in that moment, I knew what was in front of me. I knew the choice that was in front of me. Sometimes I think the choice that is given to us in life is not so plain in those moments. For me, it has happened to me. But I want you to know, I look back on that choice, on those decisions that have led me to this moment right here, right now, and I don't regret any of them. The only ones I regret are the ones where at times when I didn't serve the Lord as closely as I should. But I think, I'm trying to make sure I don't make any inaccurate statements. Remember, Jesus is the truth, not me. Jesus is the truth. But I think since that moment, I have tried... In my small way, to sincerely serve the Lord with all of my life. You have that moment you can go back to where you've said enough of this. Enough of this playing church. Enough of this as playing Christian. Enough of this where I'm just going through the motions. From this moment on, I'm serving Him with nothing else. To come in to cause any change in that. this moment, I am making the declaration that I am going with Him. So those moments, like we see with the disciples on the boat, Jesus said, "Follow Me, and I'll make you fishers of men." And they left their nets. People ask, "Where are you going?" I'm going with Him. Why? He's the way, (laughs) the truth, and the life. Young people, this morning, I want you to know. Lord, please help me. Young people, I want you to know you have in front of you right now probably the time in your life where you will be making the most important and influential decisions that will set you on the course of the next 40, 50, and 60 years. You know what's hard about that? Is because I've been in your shoes, I can tell you, you are nowhere near prepared to make those decisions. So here's the advice I want to give you you need to set some guardrails around how you're going to make those decisions. You're going to have to make some decisions and say, These are the things that no matter what, the decisions I make must be supported by these. And the first one should be Is the decision that I am making best for me to serve the Lord? Where you go to college, the job you take, your job you, you get, job you do. I'm going to show sure what words right there who you marry, where you live, every one of those decisions, you should ask yourself first, is this decision that I am making the right one that will enable me to serve the Lord as He has saved me to serve Him? I'll take a step back. That should go down even to who you date. Are the people that I surround myself with in my life the people that are going to enable me and help me to serve the Lord the way that He has desired for me to serve Him when He saved me. You see, you need to set some principles. There are going to be some other principles you want to set in that to your family and, and things like that. But the first one should be about how you're going to serve the Lord. Parents, I have something to say to you. This is something that... My wife and I got the chance to sit on the back porch at her parents' house one time and talk to them about. I don't know if you know my wife all the way. You probably don't. You certainly don't know my brother-in-law all the way. They're interesting folks. I can say that. (laughs) But you know, there was moments in their lives where they had decisions like I made, decisions like all of us have made about whether or not they are going to truly serve the Lord. So the question was posed to my in-laws about what was it that they did that allowed that their children stayed in church and Aaron now preaching and has pastored and obviously Tiffany here and serving here at Faith and serving with me. What was it that they did when they had success, Right? We all wonder that. What can we do that can allow our children to be truly rooted and plugged into the church and and stay here for the next 30, 40, 50 years and raise their children up? We wonder, what can we do? The answer they came to, the conclusion they came to, was that it was done through prayer. Through prayer. Parents, pour your hearts out on behalf of your children. All the time. Church, let us pour our hearts out on behalf of these parents, on behalf of these children. Making it intercession for them. Seeking and pleading on their behalf that God would help them to get rooted deeply and firmly in the church and firmly in His cause. Living lives for the Lord. see, I look around and I see children that I love. And I mean that from the youngest among us all the way up to the Logans, the Michaels, the Georges, the Hannas, the Olivias, the Haley's, the Jacob's, the Drew's. Uh, even Macy. I know she's a mom now, but she's, she's always going to be <laughs> that little Macy in my eyes. But I look around and I say, what can we do to help these kids? What can we do to help them plant and establish themselves? And we can come up with all sorts of ideas, but the number one thing, church, we can do is we can pray. And God will hear us. And He will bless us. And He will answer our prayers. Young people, please know that Jesus is, He is the life. He is the life. Paul told the Galatians this, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In another place, Paul, he put it this way, he said that he'd been apprehended by Christ. It was as though Christ had taken a hold of his life and all he could do was follow him. May it be said of our lives. And so, what do you guys think about Jesus' answer to Thomas's question? He said, where are you going? And how do we get there? And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then He said where He was going. He was going to the Father's house. And that's where He is right now. And He is at the Father's right hand. And He stands there and He makes intercession for us. And He helps us. He's our advocate before the Father. So that this message that I have pre- preached to you today concerning the way, the truth, and the life I can look to you, young person. I can look to you, parents. I can look to you, adults, member of faith church. And I can tell you, yes, these things that I have said, they might be hard when they're put into practice. And they might be difficult for you to say, how am I going to do that? Or, or Derek, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that declaration that from this point on, I'm going to follow the Lord. But I need to do a couple of things in my life first before I can do that. I want you to say, my friend, I want you to know, my friend, there is no time time to waste. The hour, the urgency that is at hand is too much. But let me give you this hope as to how each of us truly can follow after Christ, taking up our cross and following after Him. We can do that. Because right now, standing at the right hand of God is an advocate. Our Helper. The One who's making intercession for us. And he's not left us alone, but instead he said that if he went away, it was to our benefit. Why? Because if he went away, a comforter would come. And that comforter is here. And it's present with us even today. You see, God today, he's not living in houses that are built by man. <laughs> Do you know that? This is a, this is a meeting house. This is a house of praise and a house of worship, but God's dwelling place is in the hearts of his people. And so I know the things that I've said when put in practice are made so much more difficult. But my friend, I want you to take this hope that we can live lives for Christ because He dwells in us. Praise Him this morning.